Hi everyone and welcome back to The Advice Show. I'm Alicia, a reporter at New Model Advisor and we're live today from CityWise Impact Conference at the Four Seasons in Hampshire. We're joined today by Trevor Williams, former chief economist of Lloyds Bank and guest speaker at today's conference. How are you, Trevor? I'm very well, Alicia. Thank you for inviting me to this podcast. No worries. And how have you enjoyed the conference so far? Very much so. Uh, wonderful um, surroundings. Uh, it's a nice part of uh, the UK, I'm sure. Uh, and a fantastic hotel. And what kind of uh, themes have you been exploring today in your talk earlier? Well, the main focus was on climate change and the political economy of climate change. <clears throat> but I also talked about the background uh, because I thought it was important to understand the context, the, the economic backdrop uh, and um, why demographics and the pace of te technological change feed into any discussion that we should have about um, climate change. Okay, so let's get right into it. Today's conference focuses heavily on environmental impact and ESG. And you spoke a lot about the importance of embedding carbon neutral into all industries. Could you explain that a bit in practical terms and what it actually means to achieve carbon neutral? Yeah, I mean, that's uh, two great questions and, um, <clears throat> so, and, and a lot to unpack in them as well. Reducing carbon is key to keeping the global temperature at a level which makes human life and habitation sustainable for all of us, wherever we are in the world. The consequences of a hotter climate is, is actually disproportionately impacting some of the poorer countries in the world rather than some of the richer countries in the world. So why we have to do it is because we can see the consequences of this all around us with the unpredictability of weather, with the heat levels rising, with more parts of the world becoming uninhabitable for human beings without um, uh, lots of... Um, air conditioning and, and things like that, which is clearly not affordable. It's shifting um, big consequences for agriculture and where some people live too, with um, rising levels in some places of water, um, which will swamp some areas of the world and force people off some of the islands that they live on. Um, so the consequences are felt both by rich and poor. It's unavoidable. Uh, so what we have to do is to move away from the really... Um, industrial uh, world of using fossil fuels, that is burning coal and oil to produce um, energy to fuel the industrial activity that we do, to effectively electrify everything, electrification. But that too involves um, burning uh, fossil fuels initially in order to be able to, to get to that point. Um, and so when you embed it in everything that you do, it means that both in the extractive process, in the uses that we put it to, how we organize our companies uh, around producing goods and services, the end products. So if we make a car, it's got to be done in a way which reduces its climate impact. Um, the power of that car has to use uh, energy which doesn't create more carbon in the atmosphere. Uh, so it's both the extractive use of the energy which we have to produce, but also all of the products that we make must be done in a way which doesn't add carbon to the atmosphere. What we actually need to do too, Alicia, uh, is to reduce carbon in the atmosphere. So we also have to be thinking about how we can take it out. Um, which is setting land aside, which is planting trees, which is 
um, the, 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 the kind of uh, marshlands and others which keep carbon locked in. So, I mean, it, there's no industry that doesn't get impacted by this. There's no level of activity that doesn't get impacted by this. The way we build houses, the way we um, heat the houses, the way that we uh, keep them cool, um, the way that we um, shop and eat, the way we build, all of those things are impacted. So you mentioned something that I actually want to touch on, which is that a key issue in climate change geopolitics is that developing countries will continue to use more resources at a high rate to develop their economy, yeah. which is inherently harmful for climate change. Yeah. But as you said, it's inevitable. So how can we manage this growth and invest in infrastructure now to mitigate that damage? And is it possible? Yeah, it's a, it's a great uh, point. Uh, effectively, the richer world, um, they industrialize first, that are responsible for the bulk of the emissions in the atmosphere, um, therefore responsible for the bulk of the carbon that is now causing so much damage, in a sense have to subsidize some of the fast-growing developing countries that don't use technologies that are carbon-reducing, whilst they transition to using less carbon-intensive production. And also to compensate them uh, for maybe not using as much coal, not using as much oil, um, and perhaps setting land aside and so forth. So there needs to be almost a political recognition of this in the richer parts of the world, that this is something that they have to do in order to help these countries to transition to using technologies that we are developing. I mean, I, it's, it's both technologies of the future and technologies that we currently use. So it's, it's actually lots of the technologies are future technologies too, that we're not yet there with all of it. Uh, so um, we do have to subsidize poorer countries who don't have enough eat, doesn't have enough food and water, um, can't um, send the children to school and so forth. Um, it's unrealistic to expect them to somehow stay like that when you have everything that they, they see that they want to. So we have to accept this fact. And in order to therefore re react to that reality, we have to accept that we have to subsidize countries that can't afford to shift to the new technologies to help them to do so. That's a political decision. I was wondering if you could talk a bit about the factors that led to the sudden downturn in ESG funds. And do you think that these challenges will last long term? Yeah, again, a great question. I, I don't think, I think the second bit is easiest to answer. It won't last long term. These returns will rise uh, because um, it, we're going to get the uh, greening of our industry, uh, of the way we live, uh, permeating everything that we do. We're at the start of it. Not, not, we're not in the middle. Uh, we're nowhere near the end of it. We're just starting the first footsteps towards that. Um, and so the returns from this will rise, uh, certainly in the short to medium term. So I think let's deal with that, that point. I think the short term effects were clearly a consequence of the fact that um, there's an energy uh, crisis. Uh, and so uh, clearly fossil fuels uh, usage went up. Uh, and so the uh, disruption of higher interest rates and the inflation effect of Russia's invasion of Ukraine had uh, disrupted uh, clearly all of the economies of the world um, to a greater or lesser extent. Uh, and so that's a short-term effect. And, and one of the things I try to point to today is we need to look through short-term events 
to look through to the long-term structural changes that are taking place and focus on that. Um, and so for uh, the ESG, uh, and again, look, I think that there are challenges with the, with the acronym ESG uh, and um, what's social, what's governance, what's environmental, uh, and how do you actually measure it? So I think that there's going to be issues, uh, a tightening up of the measurements around this so that it is um, a focus on the decarbonizing element of the investments that are, that are taking place and that these investments are real and long-term and in greening technologies. So I think there's that, that too. So short-term effects versus long-term effects. War um, and impacts of the policy reaction is what disrupted ESG returns last year. That will dissipate. So on the topic of the energy crisis, do you think it's in times like this, do you think it's up to investors to balance the sometimes conflicting needs of energy supply and the green transition, or do you think that's a policy issue? Again, I, I think um, it's, a, it's a balancing act for the private sector to be able to do that. Uh, I think it's always a balancing act um, between the short term and the long term uh, in any investment horizon that you're looking at. Are you a long-term investor or are you a short-term investor? Are you looking for things that give you quick returns? Are you looking for investments that give you longer return? I think that's that's a, that's a perennial uh, challenge in any uh, investing institution. Um, uh, it depends on the balance of your assets and liabilities. Um, if you've got long-term liabilities, you need to match them with long-term assets. Uh, and I think that pension funds, insurance companies, are in a different bracket maybe to um, uh, for fund managers, uh, who are more medium term uh, and um, private equity, that's more short term, looking for investing in uh, firms or uh, areas of activity which give them uh, the ability to be able to transform something which is low yielding into something that's high yielding or unlocking the value of something. Uh, so I think that that, that, is, that is part of the, the structure and framework of, of the investing universe. Do I think there are big opportunities from that? Absolutely, because I think that um, the Inflation Reduction Act uh, in the US, for example, is going to be copied in Europe by the EU. They have to. Um, the bigger picture is that uh, China is so way ahead, for example, uh, of refining the rare earths that are necessary for transitioning to electricity, which is uh, usage, which is not uh, which the technologies which come out of that using rare earths uh, in electric cars, uh, planes, um, uh, flying helicopters, drones, and so on, uh, homes. Uh, I think that uh, that's a huge opportunity that's not going away. But at the same time, um, I think that uh, the infrastructure is being laid now uh, and is not yet uh, totally in place. So it's somewhat embryonic uh, in the sense that uh, the regulatory framework, the risk-weighted capital, the actions of central banks, uh, all of those things are currently being put in place. And you mentioned the Inflation Reduction Act in the USA, which you said would amount to subsidies of about $2.5 trillion, was yeah. it, for green investment. Do you think the UK is far behind that? And as it is now, do you see the UK economy as a ripe environment for ESG investing? I think it is a, a investment, a ripe investment for uh, for investing, and I'll say why in a moment. But it is to answer the first part of your question: Is the UK behind? Of course, it is. It's, it's way behind. It hasn't done anything. It needs to act. Um, 
So the uh, the uh, EU has to react to to the to, to the US. Otherwise, its firms will migrate there to uh, take advantage of the subsidies offered by the Inflation Reduction Act, and some of our UK firms will do the same thing. Uh, and so, uh, to keep some of that at home, they're going to have to at least match the investments that have been done in the public investments subsidies that have been done in the US. Which, which means that the return, your, you, that the prospects of you making a return is greater, clearly, uh, if you invest in the firms that have been subsidized directly by this. That's the point. And you'll finance the firms that are taking advantage of the subsidies. And as I said earlier, too, it's across all uh, aspects of the supply chain. So it's not just the end car that's produced, for instance, which has a battery in it, at least you're in battery. It's all of the points which led to that, the production of the battery, the extraction of the materials that went into it, the construction of it, the construction of the plants that construct them too, um, all of the materials that go into building the plants, the concrete, um, the, uh, the underpinnings, um, the way you run it, the way that that, that plant is efficient, um, where there are solar panels in there, so it's green plant too as much as possible, the way it's organised. So it's all of those things. I mean, it's a multiplicity of different firms offering this along a huge supply chain. That's where the opportunities will come from to pick what suits you as an investor, potentially. So with all these processes along the supply chain, it brings to question stewardship and engagement. And earlier today at the conference, 64% of the attendees um, voted that stewardship and engagement could definitely be improved. What are your thoughts on divestment versus stewardship when it comes to fossil fuels and typically polluting companies? And how do you see that playing out in the next few years? Yeah, again, another great, great point. And I, I totally agreed with the response of the audience to that particular question. Um, it can be improved enormously. Uh, we manage things. I just think there is an issue here of management and how we, and the processes, um, how transparent they are, how relevant they are, and so on. And I think everyone that made that that particular point is absolutely right. Um, that's one of the challenges to deliver all of this. That we have to improve the way we're organising all of these these uh, multiplicity of the, you know, the balls that we have to be juggling. I think it's a challenge. So you also mentioned earlier the strong narratives around nuclear, but what form of alternative energy do you think will be the key player to meet demands long term? And why do you think there are these pushbacks? Well, I mean, clearly the ones that are the big contenders are wind, um, sun. Um, wind because, you know, the North Sea actually, uh, you know, is a pretty wild, windy place. Um, but... Um, the, uh, so you've got to build the things. Um, it's it's actually as well uh, relatively shallow, uh, and so it's 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 relatively easy apparently to embed the uh, the wind turbines in to the sea, uh, connect them to land. Um, but here's the problem: how do you store it? You need huge batteries to store them in. Where are those batteries going to be? How do you take the energy from them? Inland? Do you build pylons across people's land? Do you bury it underground? It's expensive to bury it. Better to build the pylons. But whose farm does it go in? You know, above which cities is it? Do you, you know, where do you place them? There are all these logistical issues too. 
practical issues, but real ones. And you've got to build all of the things that I've said to put that infrastructure. You've got to build the batteries. You've got to find the lithium You've got to, uh, or the cobalt, and you, you've got to refine it. You've got to get the minerals out of the ground somewhere to do that. So there's going to be actually a huge increase in this initial phase in the use of fossil fuels to do that, uh, of oil and, and gas and coal potentially, particularly in uh, less wealthy countries. Um, so... Uh, yeah, I think that um, the uh, transition is going to be difficult, um, and uh, but along all of that chain, it it offers opportunities for greening and for real investments. I think also, by the way, there's going to be this pressure to ensure that what is definition of ESG. I think uh, there's going to be a challenge around that. There is a challenge around that from policymakers. Mm -hmm. Well, I think that that also brings to mind a question about nuclear, which is that the UK government announced quite heavy investment for it in the latest green finance strategy. Um, but the existing nuclear infrastructures have taken far longer than expected to complete. And with the topic of ESG, by the time new investments come into play, will they be considered environmentally friendly? Great, great question. So let me... Uh, focus on, on the point that you raised around nuclear. Nuclear is carbon neutral. Um, deaths from nuclear plants, as I mentioned in my uh, talk, you know, you can Google it. Um, you know, all different energy sources have a death rate related to the terawatt in, of in energy which is produced by that particular form of energy. And the lowest, lower than wind farms. <laughs> you know, uh, or uh, solar, is nuclear. So what is this deep sense of unease that people have? Maybe it's because it was used for war and the destruction of Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Um, people are scared of accidents that could happen. But the accidents have been rare, very few deaths, if any. Um, so I think it's an irrational fear, personally. And I think that we should ramp up nuclear. By the way, I don't think the UK can meet its carbon neutral commitment unless it does nuclear. It's actually impossible for it to meet it. So how can it build nuclear plants quickly? Um, it can do modular design. Modular is just a way of producing anything. Do it in a factory. Take it to where you need to put it. Modular designs, smaller nuclear plants. Um, that can power a city size of a football pitch rather than, you know, taking up on a 20, 30, 100 acres or the old style. Um, they don't take as long to build. They don't take 20 or 30 years to build. Um, UK was a, built one of the first civilian nuclear plants. Hasn't built any in, I don't know, how many years, 40 or 50 years or whatever it is. Um, and um, why is that? It's political decisions. They kick the ball down the road. They want the next government to make it because they might lose power if they make the decision to build it in someone's neighborhood. Mm -hmm. That's the challenge, it's a political challenge. Um, if you build a plant somewhere and people don't like it, they will vote you out. That's the issue. Mm -hmm. uh, so how do you answer that? There needs to be bipartisan political agreement that this is in the national interest. It's not a party political issue, therefore, unless it does not Unless you remove it as a party called political issue, it will remain hard to do. 
So there's some things I think should be non-political, you know, whether we have infrastructure for roads and rail and connecting cities, for example, building homes for people to live in. If they're not political issues, party political issues, it's easier to do them. Um, and that's maybe simple for me to say as someone who's obviously uh, not a politician. But uh, I think otherwise building the right level of nuclear remains an issue for us. Um, but the, the economic imperative for the UK is that it must build them. It cannot meet its commitments otherwise. I think that my final question to end on a more positive note is where do you see the greatest opportunity for climate investment right now? And are there any specific sectors that you think we should look out for? Yeah, I mean, a great question. And I think it's about mitigation, adapt, adaptation. Um, I mean, the more immediate thing, look, you know, you can, you can, you can, you can invest in recycling plants, um, wind farms, um, solar plants. Um, you can invest in um, the uh, rare earths um, companies that are searching for it. Uh, you can invest in the companies that will mine it. You can invest in the companies that uh, will be refining it. Um, refining of it uh, is going to be key, the area. So I would say refining rare earths uh, is a rare skill, as it were. Um, and uh, not that many companies in advanced economies are used to doing it. Lots of Chinese companies where they refine 80% or so of the world's rare earths have a monopoly almost on it. And country, uh, firms in uh, Europe, uh, UK, obviously, as part of Europe, uh, US, will have to get gain the expertise and capabilities in that. Um, the big investment opportunities, that's where big returns are going to come from the companies that win that race. But also the downstream activities and the supply chain uh, into that too are areas for investment. In fact, I think that it's going to open up a huge uh, number of specific opportunities in the firms that are supplying all of the products into these processes. You could think, for example, of the, uh, the, the, the building and construction firms that we build in these plants. Do you invest in the uh, firms that are building the modular designed um, nuclear um, plants that, that I think we're going to have to invest in in the UK, for example? The answer is you do. Um, and you choose the investments that are familiar to you and your investor group and people will be able to have options about where they put their money in a way I think um, that we haven't seen in many years. That seems like a great note to end on. Trevor, thank you so much for coming in to talk to us. It's been fascinating. And you've been listening to The Advice Show with Alicia Hagopian and Trevor Williams. For any questions, please feel free to tweet us at New Model Advisor or email us at nmateam at citywire.co.uk. Thank you so much for listening and we'll see you next week. Thank you.